This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Reynolds has turned the page to what's next by making it possible for you to retail anywhere. Discover your next chapter at reyrey.com slash me. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash me. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, February 24th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show... Child labor reports lead Hyundai to divest from one of its suppliers in Alabama. It looks like VW is formulating Scout and Audi EV assembly plans in the U.S. And more bad news for Carvana as sales plunge. Plus, a conversation about how dealerships can make leaders of staff members with engagement and empowerment. The E-words come into play a lot. It starts with empathy, it starts with education, empowerment. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Hyundai says it will divest its controlling stake in a major Alabama auto parts plant. Last year, Reuters documented children as young as 12 were working at the facility. Hyundai sent a letter to shareholders today from CEO Jae-hoon Chang. It says recent audits at 29 of its direct suppliers across Alabama made it confident that they are, quote, now in full compliance with underage labor laws. The audits began last August after Reuters first reported on the issue. They were conducted by an outside law firm that reviewed documents and did on-site inspections. Hyundai also told investors it's implementing extensive new corporate measures. They include a training program for its parts suppliers to begin next month in collaboration with the U.S. Department of Labor to prevent future child labor violations. The department did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Audi may build an electric car factory in the U.S. to take advantage of the subsidies offered through the Inflation Reduction Act. Brand CEO Marcus Duesman told a German newspaper about the possible plans, but added that a decision had not yet been made. Separately, sources tell Automotive News' sibling publication, Automobile Volca, that VW's new Scout brand will begin production in 2026 from a VW-built plant in the U.S., The German automaker had considered contract manufacturers Foxconn and Magna, but decided to build the plant on its own. It wasn't immediately clear whether the Audi and Scout vehicles would be assembled in the same plant. Carvana says it recorded a net loss of more than $800 million in the fourth quarter. That brings its overall financial losses in 2022 to $1.6 billion. The online used vehicle retailer reported revenue of $2.8 billion in the fourth quarter, down 24% from a year earlier. For all of 2022, Carvana reported revenue of $13.6 billion, which is up about 6% from 2021. The company's quarterly sales were down 23%. The profit it made per vehicle retail tumbled by half from the fourth quarter of 2021. And Ford is again extending the temporary closure of its Louisville assembly plant for another week. The automaker is battling a software issue on the refreshed Escape and Lincoln Corsair crossovers. The downtime will last until March 6. Next week will mark the fourth consecutive week the plant has been down. But the plant's local UAW building chairman, Brandon Reisinger, says Ford appears to have solved the problem He says they've tested a solution to the programming and that there have been no more issues so far. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, more Carvana losses every quarter. We're always reporting on it. Where is the bottom in all of this and can it be fixed? 
Yeah, it's looking rough. You know, uh, you know, big big losses two quarters in a row, and then even bigger one in the fourth. Uh, you know, I was talking about this with Joel Levington earlier this week, the Bloomberg intelligence analyst who studies credit markets, and he, he kind of argued maybe they can turn turn things around on an operating basis, but they have so much debt, uh, much of it coming due in just two or three years. They probably really need an injection of capital. They need to restructure their balance sheet and make it more manageable. Uh, ideally, you know, outside of bankruptcy court. Yeah, they got to figure a way to dig themselves out of the hole. Coming up, a conversation about how dealerships can foster leadership skills among their service staff. That's next on Daily Drive. Reynolds & Reynolds recently announced a new logo and brand image to better reflect the company it is today and its vision for the future. Hear what Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds & Reynolds, has to say about Reynolds' rebrand and the next chapter. I think, you know, if you look back, it really started, you know, probably two years ago with a new leadership team in place and the decision to kind of look at how we can be a better company and how we can better serve our customers and how we can help them be more successful. But it's really accelerated the last, you know, 12 months. This is a commitment to a new kind of company in my eyes and a new way of kind of cohabitating in the industry, helping our customers be more successful. And, uh, you know, the marketing side of this is, I mean, it's certainly important to help to have a marketing organization that, you know, kind of takes your messages and makes them concise and, and impactful and, and broadcast that to the world. That's certainly a critical part, you know, of what we're doing, but this is not a marketing program. This is, you know, a company-wide initiative you know, to better serve the industry and to, you know, help us get to the next chapter uh, in automotive. Visit rayray.com slash me to learn more about Reynolds' vision for the future and discover your next chapter. That's reyrey.com slash me. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Cultivating leadership among Service Drive staff starts with listening. That's according to Jeff Daniel, service director at Maple Hill Auto Group in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Daniel spoke with Automotive News senior editor Dan Shine about leadership, hiring more women, and leaving your work culture better than you found it. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Morning. Thanks for having us. So tell me about leadership. I know we spoke earlier. You said oh, one of the things you want to talk about was leadership. And so how do, like, how do you demonstrate leadership to your staff? Well, the the E words come into play a lot. It's uh, it starts with empathy, it starts with education, empowerment, engagement. But it starts right from the get go with engagement. You engage your employees. You find out what their strong points are, what uh, uh, and and build your team around your weak points. Every one of us knows what we're good at, and we strive to be better at that. And everybody says, "Well, you." But you don't do a good job with this, so practice that. And if you're really terrible at something and you get better, you're still not very good. But if you're really good at something and you empower somebody to get better at it and better at it, they become great at it. So you can't focus on the on the negatives. You focus on the positives. You build on their strengths. You make sure that they know what their strengths are. And anytime you have a a concern or a you know a hot button issue you focus on the strengths and say okay but can we at least work on this a little bit over here to get you from this point to this point and it can be something as simple as uh, uh coming back late from lunch little things like that that you're you're now engaging other people to be late for their lunch hour so 
but it starts with, you know, focusing on what you need around you to succeed and giving your staff the ability to succeed. It's not all about you. It's not, I'm the greatest. I've, I've heard that speech from one particular trainer for 25 years. And it has, that speech hasn't changed in 25 years. Our, our business has changed dramatically, dramatically. And, and empathy and encouragement and engagement are, are the E-words that you use every day. Are you more of a kind of a vocal leader or more just kind of teach them by watching you go about your, your daily routine? I am engaged when needed. I do not go out and vocalize. If, if I'm out in the shop or if I'm directing a, a meeting or something, I'm more of a listener. I want to hear what everybody else has to say, and then I'll interject when something gets off track or we need to get back on the focal point. I may provide the focal point and open it up for everybody else, and what do you think about that? I used to be that guy that would come out years and years and years ago that would we got, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. And now I'm saying, why, why didn't we do it this way? Can you explain that? And maybe they've got a better way of doing something. And that's where you have to be open to that. You know, again, there's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of smarter people in this business than I am. So I listen to them and I pick up tidbits from them. And then I make sure my staff hears that as well. How did you become a leader? How did you learn kind of leadership skills? Was it over time? Did you have people that you kind of copied? Uh, how did you kind of learn what you do? Is it just something that experience that teaches you? I was thrown I started in the business uh, very young, working at a Goodyear tire store. And the manager of the day happened to leave and said, you're in charge. I'd been there for three months. Things didn't go exactly as planned with a visitor that came in and interaction was terrible. And I got offered a new position in a different location in a different town. Since then, I've been in Kalamazoo Market. That engagement was not a negative because I realized, you know, I had the ability to diffuse that situation. I did it. Six years later, I became the second youngest store manager out of 7,700 locations in the country. So it kind of fell into my lap, but I also realized I, I was pretty smart at what I did. I sat back and listened and I made the right moves and I would not be the person that would spooch up to somebody just to get to the to the next point, I would figure out a better way to do it or engage people to figure out a better way to do something. And if you can improve a process, there wasn't one specific person that said, why do you do it this way? I've, I've took tidbits from a lot of different people. And is the goal to make all, all your staff good leaders? Can you have a staff full of good leaders or do you need some, some leaders and some followers? I have a, a, a very strong management team with totally different personalities. I've got somebody that will pick up. Uh, I've got female managers in both of my drives right now, female staff completely on the service drive in this building. They bring a different entity to the table that has made everybody around them realize that this isn't a guy's business. They're very strong at people skills. Uh, we're in a people business. We fix cars, we sell hours, but our job is to take care of the people and the people can be Really irritated because a brand new vehicle is broken. Really irritated because their parts aren't available. So you sit back and you let them do their thing. You hope that you put the right people in the right place. And if you don't, you train them to improve in that area. But I've got a very strong female staff is with two different, totally different personalities. One's great at this. One's great at this. Combined, they're a great team. 
they'll get better at those things that they're the weakest links, but I just want them to focus on their strengths. So that kind of leads me into something else that I wanted to talk to you about. You just said you've got a, a you know, very strong female presence in your, on your staff. Were those, were those kind of conscious hiring decisions? You said, I, I need more women on my staff, or was it just kind of you found good people and, and they just happen to be female? I've always believed you, you hire the person and teach them the job, um, whether that's female or male. This business, uh, this location, 65 to 75% of the people that come in our door are female uh, as customers. We didn't have any female representation when I started. So we had a, a ex-technicians that were our advisors that were very thorough at this is the problem, this is what it needs, great at diagnosing the car on the drive, maybe. Uh, that's not what we need today. We need somebody that listens, that shows some empathy, that uh, understands that saying sorry is different than saying, let me get to the bottom of it and find out how we didn't do things right or what happened to your vehicle and making sure that the customer is taken care of first and foremost. And as a rule, women listen better than men. You can verify that with my wife, but she will she will say that. And it's a matter of, you know, I have a, a male advisor that um, wanted to get out of the business. He just realized, a uh, great person, realized that it just wasn't for him. He, he was getting yelled at by the brand that he worked with was pretty tough. We wouldn't let him leave. We created a position. He's now my warranty administrator. He's great with numbers. He's great with people internally. He just couldn't put up with the damning comments about why can't I get my car fixed because there's no parts available. So you realize that you hire the person, you teach them the job. I can teach anybody how to sell a part. The computer can teach you how to write a repair order, but I can't change your personality. If, if you don't have a personality that's going to engage somebody, you'll know that in the first 10 seconds. Was there anything that you, I mean, again, when one of those first kind of first females joined your staff, all male staff, was it a rough onboarding or did you have to go maybe talk to the guys in the shop and say, okay, it's a new day here. And this is what I what I expect from you. Or he just kind of let it happen and, and it just kind of worked out well. No, it, it wasn't. Uh, the techs may have to do a little bit more explaining on a technical basis, but customers really don't need the same technical data they needed 10 years ago or 20 years ago. They don't need to know that the valve spring broke and that's what caught. They, they need to know what's, what it's going to take to fix their car, how long is it going to take, and can you get them something to drive in the meantime? So. Relaying the message from the to the techs with this is what we're doing was, hey, as long as they answer the phone and call customers and, and sell stuff for me, that's great. And with all the tools, videos, training programs that are out there, you can make an advisor as long as they can engage that customer and listen to that technician and put it into layman's terms, which is what a customer wants today. They don't want all the, the technical jargon. They don't want to know... Uh, you know, their timing was off 13 degrees because there was a tooth skip. They, okay, what's wrong with my car and what's it going to take to fix it? And if it gets beyond that and I have to get involved or a technician gets involved, most of our technicians will come up and talk to a customer and explain it in greater depth. And that's been a big plus. They're, they're engaging customers on the drive as well. So, and What do you see as the value of as having more women in kind of customer-facing positions? What do they bring to the table? that men don't besides being better listeners. The industry as a whole and business as a whole is, you know, it was always the wife's job, stay home, do this, do this, do this. When you think about everything that a wife or a mother has to do in her day-to-day -day job, okay, she's got to communicate, uh, get 
kids to school on time. Got soccer practice after school. Uh, got a doctor's appointment. Got to get the braces adjusted. That's what we do in our job all day long. We juggle all day long. You're juggling 18 things at home. You're juggling 18 things here. So the transition is actually very easy. You go to a restaurant and the wait staff is in charge of your order, but the cook screws it up. Who's going to fix it? The wait staff. They realize that you know, you're frowning looking down at, at your meal and it's cold or it's not cooked medium rare, it's, it's burnt or whatever. They have the opportunity to knock that out of the park by realizing what's going on, addressing it before you have to and earn their tip. But that's the person I leave my business card with. That's the person I say, you know, if you want to do something else, you, you've got the right makeup because I could have been that screaming customer or maybe the next table was the screaming customer that is mad because their, their drink is watered down or whatever it is. And if they can take care of that situation, there's a better than a 100% chance they're going to make it in this business. We make it too hard for women to understand that there is a huge growth opportunity in the automotive industry, but stores and dealers and the way we used to do business, somebody's got to give them a chance to get their foot in the door and then get out of their way because they'll surprise the daylights out of you. Jeff Daniel is the service director at Maple Hill Auto Group in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He spoke with our own Dan Shine for this week's Automotive News Service and Parts Newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own CJ Moore and Michael Martinez for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on fixed ops, suppliers, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a look at the effort to save Jeep's Belvedere, Illinois plant. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.